King of the Voodoo, the King Kong man. 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 Okay, hi, welcome to Chinese Politics Hour. I'm Fraser. I'm Louis, and this is this is still Chinese politics hour. Chinese politics, what is it? <laughs> I d- I don't know. I'm not in China. But you're Fraser. And that's been Chinese politics hour. Wow, time really flies when you're having fun. Yeah, what a fun hour. <laughs> Welcome to our B-side podcast. Be positive. And this time, I'm Fraser. And I'm. I'll be doing the role of Louis. It's such a good role. How have you been, Louis? I've been good. I've, uh, uh, no, I have no joke. I have no joke. I've been good. How have you been? That's a shame. I've been good. I was out drinking last night for my birthday. Um, so when this releases, I'll have been birthdayed. <laughs> By the way, this is going to be our Halloween episode. So it's going to be very spooky. Oh, really? Oh, God, I'm not I'm not prepared to, to be spooky. But you're the spook master in chief. I don't have my jack-o'-lantern. I don't have my um, my skeleton onesie. You don't have a skeleton onesie? I'm always wearing mine, but on the inside. <laughs> Skeletons, the enemy within. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, we're, we're spooky already. We mentioned skeletons. It's good. <laughs> okay, good. I hope that kind of reaches the spook quota, because uh, the movie we're doing this week is not exactly what I'd call <coughs> a scare-tacular. Yeah, we're of course doing King Kong Escapes. King of the Voodoo, the King Kong Man. Uh, yeah. The second Toho film uh, to feature the strongest being on Earth. Uh, this is also pretty special because this is the first time in our illustrious podcasting career that we're returning to a director whose film we've discussed before. Just can't seem to stay away from him. Yeah, of course, Ishiro Honda, the legendary Japanese director, who also directed Matango, the the Mushroom People. Yeah, the, what a great movie. Do do go back and listen to it. It's one of our earlier episodes, so we're still yeah, very it's, raw. Uh, it's rated rated R for role. Yeah. So the fans on on Facebook, and I'm gonna call them fans because <laughs> I need to, just for my own sanity. They like the thing where I posted about kaiju related films, and they were like, "Oh, sweet, yeah, let's do it." They didn't comment that; they just liked the post. So I was like, "Yeah, yeah cool, absolutely, kaiju time. I am uh 100% in for." some kaiju action yeah 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 so king kong escapes is a 1967 film it's a co-production by toho studios and uh was was it rko uh no actually rankin bass the um tv animation Uh, house why did i think rko rko developed the first king kong ah okay Good. The 1933 film. Cool, yeah. So King Kong Escapes basic premise is got a bad guy, Doctor Who, uh, also known as Doctor Precious Ego. He has terrible teeth and he needs to mine Element X for an unnamed government. To do so, he builds uh, Mecha Kong, uh, who I call Gundam Kong. Yeah. And this Gundam Kong is a perfect recreation of King Kong. And he's supposed to mine the element X because 
King Kong is the strongest being on Earth. And of course, if you make a, a Gundam of that, uh, you end up with something that can also mine shiny rocks. Yeah, it's just too bad that they forgot to line his head with lead, uh, even though they know that Element X is the most radioactive element on Earth, which is why they're mining it. So, Mechanic what's he called mechanicong <laughs> he his circuits get fried by the the element x almost instantly yeah so they pretty much immediately just decide like oh fuck it let's just go capture the real king kong and he can mine this crap for us yeah which is weird how that wasn't their first like thing yeah you know? also just like why not use a drilling machine why not like just mine for it i don't know you know they played doctor who off as some kind of super genius but he is quite possibly the dumbest smart person i've ever seen yeah i'm not he finds a way to build a giant robot king kong but then he doesn't protect it from radiation which is literally the only thing he designed it to do (laughs) and then he just bumbles his way from one mistake to another and he's real yeah, stupid. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm pretty unconvinced of his mastermind status. Yeah. But anyway, so they go catch the real King Kong and uh, hypnotize him to mine the element X. So while all of this is happening, we're also following three UN soldiers? Researchers? Submariners. They seem like soldiers. Commander Carl Nelson, Lieutenant Commander Jiro Nomura, and Lieutenant Susan Watson. Carl Nelson has an obsession with King Kong from the legends and the stories. We don't really know why. Like, obsession to me is a very strong word because Carl Nelson has no personality. Well, he has some personality, but it's, it's all very bad yeah um this film is extremely extremely chauvinist oh yeah it's uh well also racist today's episode spine crackingly sponsored by kong's chiropractic clinic located just off the m1 on skull island for your convenience Kong makes short work of any spine, no matter how crooked. I used to personally suffer from intense, chronic spinal pain, but after a single session, I can't feel a thing. Kong's Chiropractic Clinic, for kaiju-sized spinal issues. Nelson, he has has sketches of Kong, which I don't know where he got them from. His imagination... The old tales? Uh, I don't know, because the sketches look more realistic than actual Kong. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's true. We'll we'll definitely talk about the monster suits. But these three UN yeah. soldiers, scientists, submariners are on a mission to find oil, which I didn't know that that fell into the UN purview. I didn't know that armed submarines fell into the, the UN's uh, yeah, thing. Yeah, uh, Pretty concerned about the UN arsenal in this film. But anyway, so uh, their sub takes some damage and they're forced to to surface for repairs. And wouldn't you know it, they surface just off the coast of Mondo Island, the legendary home of King Kong. Yeah, Mondo Island is basically Skull Island without the copyright infringement lawsuit. Exactly. Um, And I mean, Mondo also means world. 
I think. Really? Yeah. It's um there's a there's a genre of exploitation films called mondo movies, which okay. are pretty interesting kind of kind of exploitative exoticism, kind of, you know, naked African ladies but under the guise of being documentary. Ah, uh, that is exploitative. Yeah, it's no, it it really really is. So, they are trying to study King Kong. Also, the the UN just like straight up believes them that they found a 60-foot gorilla. Oh yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they? Yeah, it's the most normal thing this to find. This is trusted white man Colonel Nelson we're talking about. Commander Nelson. Oh, I'm sorry. Um yeah, and he also apparently he designed Mechanic Kong that Doctor Who built. Yeah, what, like... It's, like, based on his... In his spare time? Why? Why would he be doing such a thing? I don't know. Why Why does Nelson do anything that Nelson does, you know? I think that's the crux of our discussion today is, why, Nelson? <laughs> Nelson, why? Yeah, no, I think the UN needs to launch a serious internal investigation into their oil discoveries slash science program. Yeah, I think... The world needs to launch a serious investigation into the UN and its illicit submarine activities. Also, can I just say that the submarine, it's clearly like a plastic toy submarine, and it's got the most amount of periscopes I've seen in any submarine ever. There's like three or four just in one scene, and every character has their own periscope. You've got to have periscopes, man. It's a submarine. How else are you going to see things? But how many periscopes do you need? Like as right next to each other. As many as you can get. Because then you don't have the thing where... Which turns out... Is everyone is like, oh, let me see, let me see. No, it's my turn with the periscope. You know how, how childish you and soldiers can get. Yeah, yeah. Especially those darn peacekeepers. <laughs> we're, we're kind of always getting into we're kind trouble. Of straying. Um, so all right, so that happens, and then, uh, like we said, Doctor Who goes to capture the real King Kong. He uses gas and helicopters. Which, if you watch the what was it, twenty sixteen mm-hmm. movie Kong Skull Island, uh, helicopters don't work against Kong. But in this film. They straight up work. It's probably because Kong uh, has got some bad cataracts. He, I think there might legitimately be something wrong with his eyes. Yeah, his eyes seem like dull and scratched, almost as though they were made from not entirely see-through rubber discs. Hmm. In- interesting, interesting theory. Either way, he should see... Some kind of a doctor. Right. So we also learn in the scene where the researchers find Kong that Lieutenant Watson seems to be the only person who can calm this beast and even to a certain extent control him. Yeah, some somehow he understands English and follows her commands. Right, exactly. So at the same time as kidnapping Kong, the weirdest reincarnation of Doctor Who also kidnaps our scientist friends, because he knows that if something goes wrong with his hypnosis ray, he can use Lieutenant Watson to control Kong. Yeah, which is weird. There's a scene while uh, Commander Nelson, Lieutenant Commander Nomura, and Lieutenant Watson are all at the UN briefing, and one of the a member of the press corps asks Commander Nelson, why did Kong listen to uh, Lieutenant Watson? And he's like, and this is a quote, It's easy to understand. Kong is a male, 
and Miss Watson is, well, see for yourselves, gentlemen. <laughs> and then they all have a chuckle and everything's funny. And I'm like, dude, that is so unbelievable and weird. It's a really strange moment because in a contemporary film, you know, a contemporary film might include that line, but it would be to set the character who says that line up as a misogynistic douchebag. Yeah. Whereas in this case, the idea is that the audience watches that and goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, buddy, I see what you mean. I get ya. King Kong likes the tiny woman. That's weird also because that's very much like a implying an interspecies attraction. <sighs> I mean, at, at minimum, it's... It sets up a situation that is biologically impossible. Yeah, yeah. Besides the fact that Kong himself is biologically uh, impossible. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, we we pretty much have to suspend our disbelief throughout this film. Yeah. Doctor Who, then, he hypnotizes Kong. Kong starts mining with his sick earphones. He falls asleep because radiation poisoning sets in really quick. And then he sort of breaks this the hypnotic spell. Yeah, and this is I guess where the where the promise of the film really starts to pay off because Kong escapes and starts swimming to Japan for some reason and Doctor Who sets Mechana Kong on the path after him, which sets up of course the climactic battle on top of Tokyo Tower. Which was a very anticlimactic fight. Yeah. Cause when we're introduced to Kong He's kicking an ass a minute. He fights Gorosaurus, T-Rex looking thing that mainly specializes in a double drop kick. <laughs> and then he fights a giant water snake. He's a badass. But then he fights Mechani Kong and they're just sort of climbing Tokyo Tower and they're just sort of kicking at each other and slap fighting. And then eventually Madame Piranha or Madame X or whatever you want to call her. Uh, who is the secretive government liaison that is backing Doctor Who uh, in his nefarious plot. <laughs> then she just pulls the plug and defeats Mechanicon. Every time you say Doctor Who, I just, I can't help it. I just think of David Tennant and, and it makes this film really funny. Yeah, I, I like to imagine this Doctor Who as uh, Peter Capaldi. <laughs> I'd love to see this Doctor Who as Peter Capaldi as... His role in The Thick of It, which is, by the way, <laughs> an incredible sitcom that you have to watch. Okay, yeah, so that's basically the movie. Kong goes home to his island. Everyone's safe, I guess. Uh, and that's it. That's the thing. Yeah, we, we can all go Good. home. Excellent. Uh, I am at home, but I can leave yeah, and too. come back. Yeah, I guess. Sounds like work, though. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's get into some of the metaphors. I saw uh, Kong or Gundam Kong as kind of a metaphor for the overwhelming power of nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And Doctor Who's attitude to just using Kong, not really understanding it, not really fully appreciating uh, what it's capable of, what its limitations are, some dangers in its use might be. He's kind of blasé about using this 60-foot uh, robotic yeah. ape. It does in my mind, allude to the way that um, nuclear weapons were treated when they were just invented as something that is a viable option for attacking your enemies. Yeah. Where 
in reality, it's an insane, insane weapon. It doesn't even make sense that, like, you can blow up a whole city with one little bomb. So Gundam Kong, to me, is really a metaphor of that. And King Kong is a metaphor for me of sort of the natural order Mm -hmm. and sort of nature's vengeance. Because, you know, if you drop too many nuclear weapons, the mythical nuclear winter will fall and that's basically nature kicking us out. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's one theme that this film really sets up, it is that, you know, nature versus science gone awry narrative. Yeah. I think most kaiju films have something to do with nuclear power. Mm. So it's interesting that this film is a American-Japanese co-production, of course, because their uh, relationship with nuclear weapons is shall we say, contentious? We shall. And of course, Doctor Who and Madame Piranha's whole raison d'etre is to to find more element X to create more weapon. Which is strange because then Madame X doesn't want Gundam Kong and King Kong to fight in Tokyo because of the loss of civilian life, but she's actively pursuing doomsday weapons. Yeah, it's like she kind of, when she's confronted with the reality of her own ideas of violence, she shrinks back and, I guess, changes her mind. Yeah, it's very strange. It's not very clear. At times, she is played off as this powerful government figure and at other times she's played off as this nuisance you know that someone who doesn't have any power doesn't affect the plot even though doctor who pretty much works for her i think that's a part of this film's kind of baked in misogyny like when she the casual chauvinism like when she confronts doctor who and pulls a gun on him this aged scientist has no problem taking her out and and capturing her where I was kind of expecting her to kind of femme fatale kick his ass, but it it did not go that way. She's not a fighter, although she works in espionage, so I'm assuming she would have had some training, but then clearly she doesn't. And that's kind of sad because it's a wasted opportunity. But we do also, we live in a time where we've seen seriously badass female spy film so we have the benefit of that like black widow in the marvel films she is definitely like the most badass spy in probably any film and then now uh with atomic blonde by charlie's theron which i haven't seen but i'm looking forward to watching it because man it looks badass it's like john wick but with charlie's Cool! shout out to our homegirl Charlize from Benoni. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty interesting to see how those kinds of audience expectations have, have shifted, you know, in the in the intervening decades. Yeah, thankfully, because the human characters were so boring. Oh, so, so boring in this boring. film. I was just sitting there, very tempted to fast forward through the dialogue just to get to more Kong fights, but yeah, I didn't. Absolutely. Because I have to do a podcast on it, so I need to know things. (laughs) That's right, folks. We watch these movies, so you don't have to. To get back to your point on Kong as as force of nature standing against, I guess, this this mechanical greed, I suppose, of Doctor Who's. There's a great scene while they're trying to kidnap him and they're dropping ether bombs on him where Kong rips up a tree to kind of try and use as a bat to to swat away the helicopters yeah and there's a kind of a tragic moment where 
he's overwhelmed by the chemicals and he just drops the tree and collapses. I was expecting them to have a bit more of a tough time defeating Kong. Do you think they'd be able to kidnap you with with some helicopters and and some ether bombs? Man, they could just give me some ether uh, <laughs> and then I'd, I'd just knock myself out. <laughs> lonely? Do you have no friends? Do you make bad decisions? Do you feel bad about drinking by yourself? Do you feel bad about feeling bad? Do you listen in on other people's conversations? Do you ever look in the mirror and think, I'm one kooky sack of organs? If so, grab a beer and listen to generally kooky people, because we might be talking about you. Or cult leaders. Or serial killers. Or dumb judges. Or narcissistic jugglers. Or people who wear socks on their hands. Or flat earthers. Or people who move to China. Or hillbilly housewives. Or people who fall in love with buildings. Or people who pretend to be dogs. Or Hitler. Or Hitler's gran. (laughs) (laughs) So, there are also a couple of interesting moments in the relationship between Kong and and Mechanicong for me. For instance, when Doctor Who first imprisons King Kong, he looks at Mechanicong and he sees, I guess, this kind of ghostly outline of himself over Mechanicong's body, if that makes sense. Yeah, was that him uh, recognizing Mechanicong as a copy of himself? Or was that... Kong's deep-seated depression at being the last of his kind. Right, that's what I was I was also wondering like whether Kong feels feels a sense of kinship with Mechanicong and a, a tragically unrequited kinship. Yeah, it's like the classic uh, experiment with the monkeys preferring preferring the cloth mother as opposed to the wire mother with food. Uh, yeah. Where it's that resemblance, that sense of warmth. But Kong, like, he's only presented with a metal version of himself or one of his species. Man, he probably hasn't seen another giant ape in decades. Yeah, and we see that when Mechanicong dies at the end when he falls off of Tokyo Tower. I don't know if you saw the same thing, but a look of regret and a look of sadness on Kong's face when he sees Mechanicong die. That might also be that King Kong didn't actually win that fight. I guess. As Madame Piranha is the actual victor of the Kong versus Mechanicong uh, combat. Yeah, that, that's... Or should I say Kongbat? Oh, you should absolutely not say It's been that. said. King Mortal Kongbat. <laughs> that's our new video game spinoff. Yeah, King Mortal Kombat. Kongbat. <laughs> Pre-order King Mortal Kombat on Steam. Uh, It's in early access. Uh, We look forward to developing the game with the community. It's just uh, $50. Thanks thanks for the support, guys. Find it on Kickstarter. It's not there. It's not. not. Quick, Fraser, create a Kickstarter. (laughs) I'm on it. Yeah, so I feel like King Kong gives the most nuanced and most interesting performance in this film. Yeah, King Kong has the most personality, even though his face looks like a melted bit of rubber. He actually, he looks like something from The Simpsons. (laughs) Yeah, he he really does. He's kind of got a look of Homer's father, Grandpa Simpson. He does, oh my word. Like the suit looks good, right? It's convincing, wow. kind of. Wow. Well, for the time, it's convincing. The face, 
does not look good. The <laughs> eyelids are clearly paper mache. The eyes are like rubber balls. <laughs> the rubber of the face looks kind of sweaty. And then he's got this serious like set of just spikes in his mouth not even teeth <laughs> they don't make sense as a simian like yeah not set of teeth they're just like spikes rather than like his mouth just kind of drops open and snaps shut those are the two options like no expression or anything like that yeah and his lip also curls up a little bit oh really i, I didn't even notice that the version that i watched was the youtube cut and the aspect ratio is fucked. Most of the picture is missing. I know one specific scene where the camera like zooms in and you're supposed to see Madame Piranha and Doctor Who on either side of the shot, but from the cut that I watched, just zooms into a blank wall and there's nothing. <laughs> sounds sounds maybe better than the original. At first I couldn't understand how you watch that version. Because uh, it is actually filmed in, like, really nice widescreen. Three screen. times. But that sounds hilarious. Yeah, I watched it three times, and it make, made it better. Because a lot of the times when Commander Nelson was saying his chauvinist shit, I couldn't see him. I could just see, like, his forehead. Does it kind of look like an art film with that version? It must seem like the director and the cinematographer made some really weird decisions. It does. It really does. Especially, like, the close-up shots of Kong's face where mm -hmm. instead of seeing most of the face, I only saw those eyes. Man, those <laughs> eyes are going to haunt my dreams. They're fucking awful. They're so fucking bad. Oh, man. So also in the scene where uh, Kong gets taken down by the ether, uh, I also made a note of Kong being nature's protector is taken down by man-made gases, which are pollutants. And that can also be, this is a stretch, right? For a 1967 film, if you read too much into it, a metaphor for greenhouse gases and the hole in the ozone layer yeah no i don't i don't think that's a stretch at all i think the film speaks a lot to the idea of pollution and environmental effects what i also find interesting there is that there's this dichotomy set up between the bad science the unrestrained greed driven science of doctor who and the good science the virtuous science of our UN submariner team, where they are seen as the moral moral arbiters of, of what is allowable in science. Yeah. So they go to Kong Island, but they don't kidnap him, and they want to go back to study him in his natural habitat, and, you know, they don't want to disturb his environment or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, they were prospecting for oil, probably more dangerous than nuclear material, just because of its scale. Yeah, but oil is socially acceptable. Yeah, oil is more socially acceptable, and it's, you know, it's such a cornerstone of the world economy. And these guys, the, the UN scientists team, their discovery of Kong leads to Doctor Who finding Kong, and it leads probably to some pretty serious knock-on effects on the locals of the island. And it also leads to two giant monster deaths. Does Kong actually kill Gorosaurus? Yeah, he like rips open his jaw and then a bunch of white foam comes out. Oh yeah, he totally kills him. 
But Gorosaurus is again seen, or maybe a relative of his, in a later Toho film, uh, one of the Godzilla films. Yeah, I think in Ishiro Honda's All Monsters Must Die, I think it's called. I mean, that's a very inflammatory title. Yeah, it really is. It also has an exclamation mark, so you know he's serious. Isn't Godzilla a monster? Yeah. So he has to die? I guess. That's, that's a shame. He always looked so cuddly. Hi, I'm a dentist. How are your teeth? How are your teeth feeling? Are they gently resting atop each other? Or are they slightly apart? Are there any strange sensations at the root of your teeth? Are your teeth wet? Are your teeth sticky or textured? Do you sometimes wish you had one of those little mirrors that I use to see the back of your teeth? What do you think the back of your teeth look like? Anyway, I'm a dentist. I'm sure it's nothing to worry about. When I was young, I, got, I had this recurring nightmare where I went to the cinema and then like the ground would shake and King Kong would come tearing into the cinema through the roof and I would be hiding under a chair and just terrified out of my mind. Kong would be trying to find me and like ripping things up and trying to kill me. Interesting. Why do you think it was recurring? What, what do you fear of Kong? I think it's his size and also the fact that the other great apes besides humans they're really terrifying because they're like us but they're physically superior in every way except for intelligence so it's kind of an uncanny kind of thing yeah i think it was just the absolute strangeness of king kong that i was scared of and also it's like a persecution dream but that's that's something that the king kong movies usually rely quite heavily upon right yeah so in the first one he's kidnapped by uh what like a promoter i don't know but the idea is that king kong is is this fascinating exotic being to be put on display you know for entertainment yeah and and most king kong movies have featured something like that but in this case king kong is enslaved by doctor who purely for his labor yeah which i guess is is how slavery usually goes but I find it quite yeah, interesting that the exoticism of, of Kong isn't that hard hit in this film. He's accepted as a known quantity. This obviously in the world where mushroom people are real and also uh, Godzilla is a recurring natural disaster. He's like El Nino. Yeah, yeah. He comes about every couple of, couple of months, smashes things, fights a monster. Good times, you know? Family fun. Do you think Toho Tokyo has a booming monster insurance industry? They really have to. Uh, man, it's always rebuilt. Uh, it's always back in one piece. Yeah. And they haven't abandoned uh, Tokyo yet. Yeah, stay strong, people of Tokyo. Don't let the monsters get you down. Uh, people of Tohokyo. Tohokyo. Yeah, in the end, the sexist narrative of the film is reinforced again when it's only Watson's fragile femininity that can assuage the beast. Yeah. And um, snap him out of his hypnosis. I don't like her character, and that's mainly because of the way it was written. She never takes any initiative, you know, she's 
constantly belittled. She's constantly like told what to do. And she just kind of goes along with it. It's clearly a male's idea of what a woman should be. It's always been strange to me that culturally males feel the need to do that. Like when males are writing, it's strange to me that they feel the need to write specifically one-dimensional female characters. To me, it would be more logical just to write well-rounded characters so that the story is better instead of just having a few well-rounded males and a one-dimensional female just as background. Yeah, you would you would think so, right? But I guess it's it's a part of reinforcing those kinds of cultural ideas and ideologies. Pop culture always goes towards reinforcing kind of like bad elements of of a culture. It's as if these writers think that women are somehow different you know, inherently, rather than just thinking that women have different experiences. So instead of just writing a person uh, who's had some specific experiences, they're trying to write women. And of course, they have no idea what they're talking about. Just imagine if the tables were turned. Someone's like, man, I just, I don't know how to write men. How do you, what What do they want? What do they need? What is, what's a man like? <laughs> Put him in some sexy rugby shorts. Mmm, the shorter the better. Let's see some of that sexy thigh. And I mean, this this seems like a pretty far-off problem when you see the kind of sexism in, in King Kong Escapes, but as recent Harvey Weinstein-related things have started coming out, you really realize that, that sexism is such an endemic problem in, well, the entertainment industry, but also in pretty much... Every everything everywhere all the time. So I, I also made a note here that Kong's true enemy in this film and in the future will be radiation poisoning and cancer. <laughs> yeah, Kong is he'll Oh god. He's gonna have to go for chemo. Yeah, because he smashes through that element X and a lot of the uh, element X gets pulverized and like little dust particles go everywhere. And he's definitely breathing those things in. I can only imagine the tumors growing within his mushy rubber body. Maybe that's what we need. A, a King Kong cancer drama. Yeah, where there are no monster fights. It's just King Kong fighting cancer. And a whole team yeah. of oncologists just freaking out. They have to make a special hospital bed for Kong. And they fly around in helicopters and they have to send someone into Kong's lungs. Yeah, they have to, like, repel into surgery. That would be great. I want to watch that movie. I want to I wanna see this movie now. It's like it's like the Logan uh, of, of King Kong movies. We're going to make it real. We're going to make it serious. And we're going to make it sad. R-rated. But one thing I'd like to keep from the old Kong movies are the models and the suits. As usual, Toho's suitmation and use of miniatures does not disappoint. The models are great, and the suit is also very cool. One of the major problems I had with the suit, and I also read about it online, other people noticed the same thing, is that when Kong gets into the water, the arms get wet, they sort of hang onto the actor's scrawny arms, so Kong goes from this buff gorilla to having these flabby scrawny arms in seconds 
The reason why they did that, obviously, is because too much padding would weigh the actor down and he would drown. Right, yeah. Yeah, we realize that Kong um, is actually very skinny. Uh, all of that bulk is just fur. Yeah, he's actually just a, a fuzzy, friendly guy who likes the ladies. Oh, God. <laughs> what is it with King Kong? I mean... Even in the original, you know, the line, "'Twas beauty killed the beast." But, like, what is it with Kong's obsession with human women? Does that imply that Kong is somehow a part of this imagined um, inability for males to control themselves around women? Which then obviously leads to victim blaming for victims of sexual assaults. Because Kong is portrayed as man's wild nature. Yeah, and I think, especially in the earlier Kong films, there's also an element of Kong being specifically a, a black black man who's you know coming for the white women so there's this kind of you know racist legacy of the film that's that's pretty hard to get away from yeah i feel like they're doing a good job with the latest kong films sort of separating themselves from that legacy but it was still fresh during the production of this film. Yeah. And yeah, no, this film is very weird. It's offensive, but it is good fun and if you just don't pay attention to the the dialogue and the human element it is just a fun romp you get some kaiju related violence which is always fun yeah every time i watch one of these old toho films uh even the newer ones i'm always like dude how can i become a suitmation actor dude that's my biggest takeaway from this film is that i have found your perfect career right you need to become a kaiju actor of course i mean i'm quite big already yeah you're big you move well. Yes. You can you can express with your body. Yeah. And you're you're not comfortable with having your face filmed. I am actually comfortable with having my face filmed. Uh, you remember that documentary I series that I presented? Just as I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Yeah. I remember. This would be amazing. Like I would love doing this. Actually, if can we start a Facebook petition and if we get a certain amount of likes, you have to do a kaiju like a King Kong audition tape. I will 100% do that. So, Louis, I, th- I feel like I've said what I wanted to say <laughs> about King Kong escapes. The the only other thing that I want to mention is that oh boy, do I love that 60s spy gadget shit. Oh, yeah. I just love that. Yeah, dude. And what I noticed about Toho films is that there's always like a element of like mad science and it's always just wall panels with flashing lights. Yeah, yeah, it would be. So let's do a rating. Okay. What about six shots in a Javanese gentleman's chest? Uh, No, that's that's a bad. It's bad. All right, let's rate it out of how many seconds you can stand uh, staring into Kong's dead eyes. Uh, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it two seconds. Okay. One second out of shock, and another out of morbid curiosity. Yeah, I'm gonna stare into the abyss of Kong's eyes for ten seconds and lose my mind. <laughs> Again, I don't know if that's a good rating or a bad rating because uh, the ratings on the show are arbitrary. Yeah, I, I think that's good. I think I like the ambiguity of it. It forces our listeners to have to watch the film to just, you know, rate it yourself. And you can always send us ratings. If you watch a film that we've watched or you have watched it on the Facebook page, you know, like write on our wall or comment on something. Just be like, hey, I thought this film was this and this and I thought you guys missed out on... 
these potential points or metaphors. Yeah, absolutely. We're um, open to communication, open to critique, open to suggestions, anything really. We're, we're pretty wide open. Yeah, yeah, we are pretty open. And also let us know if you want to see a video of me auditioning for the role of a suit mation King Kong. I can try. <laughs> I would literally pay money to see that. That is the sort of thing that people pay money for. Another thing that annoyed me in the film, and that's always in kaiju forms, especially Toho forms, they have a tendency to speed up or slow down the actions <laughs> of characters. Like when a kaiju is moving, you can tell that they're fast forwarding yeah. to make it look like they're fast or there are scenes where actors are moving and they fast forward to make it look more intense, but it ends up just being a bit nauseating. Yeah, that's a classic low-budget special effects. I like this film. Uh, kaiju films really have a special place in my heart. It's probably because I am myself a giant. <laughs> so this will be our extra spooky uh, Halloween episode. Happy Halloween to all of you. Hopefully we don't have another month between episodes releasing. I do apologize about the unexpected hiatus. Yeah, no, we'll we'll uh, try and be more regular. Yeah, we'll keep on. We'll we'll eat fiber. You know, we'll uh, in the future. We'll be positive. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. And remember, racism, not spooky, but in a bad way. Yeah, of course. You stay scary. I've been Fraser Chonji. I've been Louie. Hey, Louie, did you know that there's going to be a promo on this episode for Generally Two for People? King of the 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 King